0: Welcome to the commercial real estate investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Baldrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned a little bit about the tax benefits of investing in real estate. And we also learned about a very unique asset class, ATM machines. And in this episode, we will be learning about entitlements. What are entitlements? And what are some things that you can do to have a smoother entitlement process for your projects? We are interviewing Devin Lewis. Devin is a California licensed architect. He has spent the last 10 years working with real estate developers, determining the highest and best use for properties across the country and around the world. His understanding of the entitlement process is based on his experience with building and zoning codes. And he is a believer that we should strive to improve the quality of life for the users of the environments that they seek to improve. Here we go. Devin, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited to have you here. We are talking about entitlements In one of the most difficult cities to deal with, I believe, San Francisco. Tell us a little bit about you.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I am a California licensed architect working for a firm that's based in Sacramento called LPAS Architecture and Design. We design and document mixed-use, mid-rise, multifamily projects throughout the San Francisco Bay.
0: Why don't we explain to our audience first, what are entitlements?
1: Entitlements in a simplified explanation is what you as an owner are promising the city that you or someone that purchases your entitled design will build. Ultimately, determines the value of the property. And so an entitled design is thought out enough to where the city can understand what will be built, what's proposed, what taxes it will receive from any of its operations. And the entitlements are based off of what architects consider a schematic design. So the design of the building will after entitlements develop significantly, and that's a different development for an architect means something different than development for a real estate developer, but the project will architecturally develop after the project becomes entitled with engineering systems. But in order to entitle a project, you need a good idea of the square footage, the functions, essentially what you have planned for that piece of property.
0: Sounds like a ton of work, especially dealing with entitlements in San Francisco, as we briefly mentioned earlier. What are some of the best pieces of advice that you can share with us in trying to get a smooth entitlement process as fast as possible in this very difficult city?
1: As an owner, a property owner developing a piece of property, I think the most important thing is to strive to have an understanding of the process. As an owner, you could experience a great deal of frustration if you're not aware that an architect is your agent and the architect really is there to help you facilitate the process. And that process in most cities including San Francisco looks like this. So What you'll do with a schematic design is go to the planning department and you'll set up a meeting and you'll work with different departments like the police department, the fire department, traffic, public works, sometimes the trash management services for the city to really make sure that at a high level, your project will fit into the city's fabric, the city's functions, the way the city will tie into what you're proposing. And so you'll work with a staff member and you'll present to the planning department and the planning department will actually grant you entitlements. If it's a large project, it'll be presented to the city council. And when the staff member feels that it's ready, will recommend the project for approval. And during this process, the architect is folding in the requirements and desires of many different parties. The city is gonna bring its requirements. You're going to meet with community members in community meetings, folding in their desires.
0: It sounds like we should be working with an architect from the beginning. Should we get in touch with an architect before purchasing the property to get an idea of what and how long the entitlements will take?
1: When you engage with an architect, typically the first thing that an owner will do is talk about the program, what we refer to as the program, the uses, the square footages desired for those uses. The architect will put together what is referred to as a site feasibility study. I've also heard it referred to as a land use plan. And so an architect will look at the property and lay out a building or several buildings using the building code and give you an idea of what schematically, legally can be built on your property.
0: Can they give an estimate of more or less how long it would take to get all the approvals from a particular city?
1: We put together a timeline, a schedule for each project. Entitlements is a difficult thing to quantify in terms of time, especially in San Francisco, because the neighbors have such huge influence over what becomes approved. And it's a great thing the neighbors have say in the character of of their city. One of the main drivers for the amount of time that a project will take is CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Act. I think was put into place in California in the 70s. And essentially what that does is it requires for large projects an environmental impact report. And it's tough to really say with CEQA in place just exactly how long a project will take to get planning commission approval, because the neighbors can form large, powerful groups and create lawsuits that actually will stall projects for a number of reasons. One of their concerns may be traffic in their neighborhood. One of their concerns may be the density and type of use that is being proposed.
0: I know that sometimes there are other groups within the city that may also have a say in the approval of a project, like the historical committee, and I know that sometimes they can be contradictory with what the city approves. Do you have any idea of how to approach that?
1: I don't have a huge amount of experience with historical restoration, renovation preservation or rehabilitation. But I know that people have a tendency to want their city to remain the way they have always known it to be. And different people deem buildings of different levels of quality as historically relevant and will form groups to endeavor to save certain buildings. And those types of issues raised by these groups can absolutely affect the approvals process, and the schedule.
0: Let's talk about an unsuccessful project or the most difficult one that you worked with. And then if you would like, we can talk about a very smooth project and key lessons learned from both of these.
1: As an architect, I consider a successful project a built project. Most of the work that I've done in my career has been built work. There are plenty of architects whose work doesn't get built as frequently, but I've worked for home builders and our projects tend to have a higher, what I would consider, success rate. In terms of the architectural process, we meaning the companies that I've worked with haven't really struggled to design, document, and administer the construction for projects. But I will say, as an urbanist with your audience in mind, an unsuccessful project in my mind would be a project of mine that that is built and, in my mind, unsuccessful, is a townhouse project in Dublin, California. It's on a transit-oriented development site near the BART station. And it's not only this project that I find unsuccessful, but there are several projects in that area that I just think the density is too low. I think that more units could fit on these pieces of property and taller buildings should have been built.
0: Why do you think that they went for a lower number of units?
1: This particular project was a townhouse project. In our feasibility study, looking at many different site constraints, fit 30 units per acre on a site that was probably close to two acres. And must have fit into what the city had zoned for that property but just as as an urbanist thinking about responsible ways of developing housing near transit stations i think that the city and state actually this is an issue that the state is really grappling with I think that development near transit centers should have a better mix of commercial and residential functions, business functions, and low-density housing has no place in transit-oriented development.
0: Let's take an example of a property that one of the projects that I mentioned in an earlier episodes that I'm thinking of working on, which is a retail project and we found a property in the Mission area of San Francisco. And what do you think would be a good first few steps in determining if something could be transformed from an old warehouse to a retail center in this area of San Francisco? And <laughs> is this even feasible from an investor's perspective, in your opinion? Is it worth the time to deal with this kind of property in this type of city where it can be somewhat difficult to get entitlements
1: outside of an architect's services a developer would when thinking about entitlements i think think about community engagement so much of the approvals process for an architect is ink on paper putting together your vision and documenting it illustrating it for community and the city and the stakeholders to see and get an idea of of what they can anticipate on that property. I think that reaching out to the community, particularly in San Francisco, not necessarily with, say, an architect's plan, right? Sometimes people see a plan and they're so quick to become critical of exactly what you have delineated. And that can oftentimes discourage people from accepting essentially an idea that you have. And so whether that be a plan or maybe you've determined what you want the elevations to look like and you have this rendering of this welcoming, beautiful, wonderful development, the city members, the neighboring members of the community will inevitably, some will be drawn to it and some will not. And so I think that there's, aside from the architectural services and what an architect can provide for you, plans, elevations, you can go to the community and just talk about what you want to do, right? You don't necessarily have to show them exactly what you have planned in terms of graphics and what you're using to determine the value of the property, but to rally support from the members of the community is really an important aspect of what a developer does in order to secure entitlements. In San Francisco, when a project is being considered by the planning department, there's a whole different set of factors that because you have neighbors in close proximity and not just the person renting the unit in the building next door with the window facing above the roof that you're going to redo or right potentially when restoring this property or demolishing it and doing ground up construction, There's going to be, due to the density in San Francisco, many more people having a say in what you can do.
0: Is there anything else that our audience should know?
1: I think that just an overview of entitlements, again, from kind of a lofty, abstract way of talking about them. For an architect, as we consider what can be built on a piece of property, we're looking at a number of different factors. And we're looking at how the occupancy category, so the, the use, can yield a certain square footage based off of construction type. And there's five construction types and there. They range from most flammable to least flammable. And so if you're building in type one, which is the least flammable, non-combustible materials, then you can build taller. You can build taller. You build out of concrete and steel. And if you're building out of type five, the most flammable construction type, then you're limited in stories and footprint. There's a number of factors when designing a project. And by that, I mean determining the value of a piece of property and securing those entitlements. When I think of schematic design, I think of determining the shape of a building Right, So you could create a facade on that building that is very modern, or you could be restoring a historic facade, or creating a very minimalistic facade, or facade with a great deal of decoration. But ultimately, the shape of this building, volumetrically, the way this building takes shape, it's almost like... In schematic design, during these feasibility studies, I should say during the feasibility studies, it's very malleable. It's like a piece of clay that can stretch and grow vertically and horizontally and can step back and create terraces and outdoor courtyards and can be U-shaped or L-shaped or O-shaped. And those are broad generalizations. This building can really take shape. And what happens in entitlements, after you go through the city and you work with public works and you say, we've... Located the utility rooms based off of where we can get water and where we can get electricity. And we've really worked with the city enough to get an idea of what the shape of this is going to be and, and what the construction type is going to be and how tall it's going to be and what the floor plates, what the square footage of the floor plates are going to be, which is all absolutely through cost estimates tied to the pro forma. And essentially, what's happening conceptually is this piece of clay when it goes to the planning department, is entering the kiln. It's solidifying. And oftentimes what will happen after a project has received that level of scrutiny and has been approved at that level, oftentimes it's sold. And so in determining the square footage and the height and the construction type and many other factors, actually, the way that you exit this building, all these things need to be determined and legally approved by the city in order to determine the value of the property. And so essentially what we're doing when we look at these feasibility studies and develop it schematically is we're determining the highest and best use for that property. And that's the way I see it. That's my notion of entitlements. And I'm a young architect, but that's In my experience, what we're doing in that phase of the process, that's the services that an architect provides.
0: How can our listeners get in touch with you?
1: If you want a feasibility study done, you can send me an email at dlewis at lpas.com. If you want to chat about anything architecture or real estate or urbanism related, just find me on LinkedIn, Devin Lewis, working for LPAS.
0: And I will put his email and his LinkedIn under show notes, as always. Devin, thank you so much for spending this time with us, enlightening us about entitlements in the most difficult city on the planet, probably. I really appreciate it and look forward to hopefully one day working with you in the near future.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Stephanie.
0: Make sure to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. We just received a review from D 2244 It said, A great start. Very informative and to the point. If it continues like this, it will be one of the best real estate podcasts. I took one star off because of Dave Zook episode that did not provide any information and was a clear advertisement to the host which is what most of the podcasts are doing providing inspiring stories and advertising for the host. Well, thank you Triple D 2244 for saying that this will be one of the best real estate podcasts and I want to clarify that Nothing has been sponsored and there has been zero advertisement on this podcast. It would be quite unethical to not say that something may have been sponsored or that this is an advertisement and this is not how we work. So I would greatly appreciate <laughs> if you would update the review because that is simply not true. We do our best to have the best content, as you briefly mentioned. And when we will have a sponsor, it will be very clearly stated that they are a sponsor to the podcast. And we are only going to get a sponsor because it is a significant cost to create each episode. It takes at least 10 to 12 hours to be fully completed from beginning to end. And that would be why we would get a sponsor for our podcast, which we have had none so far. So thank you for your review. And I would greatly appreciate if you would update that. And if you know anyone who may be interested in learning more about commercial real estate investing, make sure to share this podcast with them and I will see you next time.